Hi, everybody. I'm George, and this is The Best Little Horror House in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And today's guest is a producer and musician whose themes for Friendsmen and we heard about Pluto hang in the podcast theme song Hall of Fame. Please welcome Chris White. Oh, George, you're too kind, but also correct. They are very good theme songs. <laughs> hell yeah. Did hell a yeah. Very good job. I'm completely unbiased, of course. Yeah, well, <laughs> yes, I think so. I count you as unbiased. Yeah. And again, correct in your opinion. You know, I had an embarrassing moment, I would say, yesterday or the day before when I was thinking about watching the movie again and getting ready for this podcast. I finally got the pun of the name of this show. (laughs) I've known about this show for a long time, maybe a year or something like that. (laughs) Certainly for as long as you've done the Pluto podcast, which has been a minute. Yeah, it's been a while. And I would say I would give myself a 24 hour grace period for getting the pun. No, (laughs) I mean, many days. This is the thing. I say it frequently, but if I had known that I was going to be doing the show for more than like one week, I would have probably not picked this name because it's super long. You have to be familiar with the best little whorehouse in Texas and then also be willing to make the leap (laughs) from from like a super different genre. It's not like it's a horror movie, right? Right. If it was a horror movie, it'd be like, got it. No problem. But instead, it's like, it's just a left field. It's a yeah. sweet movie, too, right? Like, it's not even middle yeah. of the road. It's particularly like a lovey. I would say so. Old, obscure movie. Yeah, it's a lot what you've done. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you are you make a decision and you're stuck with it. <laughs> That's right. That's what this movie is all about today, I would say. So true. And a, and a perfect segue. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really true, but I wanted to do the segue thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, before we segue too hard into the actual movie, why don't you tell us a little bit about your history with horror? So I think you kind of came to horror late, if I recall. Is that fair? Yep. Yeah. So I had, I don't think you've said it this way, but I had the thing going where I was like too scared to watch horror movies. Like I was the kid that would like pretend to be sick so he could go home from the sleepover because they were (laughs) going to put a horror movie on when I was like too old for that to be a thing to do. (laughs) You know what I mean? And then at some point I like completely turned the corner and was like, what if I change my entertainment diet to be 100% violence only? Wow. And was like, the only sports I like are football and hockey and mixed martial arts. I'm going to be really hardcore into mixed martial arts. Oh, I'm going to watch hardcore Japanese wrestling. Okay. American action movies are not good enough for me anymore. I'm going to start watching like Hong Kong action and stuff like that. So I took like a weird 180. And I think what I kind of came to like about some of those things is the same. It kind of like has a thread that goes into the type of horror movie I like. And the reason why I like the one that I chose today, which is I want it to be a brawl that has the highest stakes and that I believe that anything can happen Mm -hmm. for most of American action. There's no way that we think the rock is going to lose in any scenario. (laughs) Right. Or even like embarrass himself in his contract. Oh yeah. So I like totally got bored of watching action, started watching a lot more sci-fi back when Netflix was the DVD service. Mm, Remember that kids? Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So I was, you know, living on my own and I would just basically like watch a DVD every night after I got home from doing whatever nonsense I was involved in as like a 20 something (laughs) and got very intentional about seeing like classics and in trying to learn about what classics of genre movies I should watch, I found myself onto a website that had a whole bunch of rejected scripts. And the ones that I was like most attracted to and that were like most fun to read were horror. Mm. And 
what I, I like came to learn a bit about like how horror movies are made where sometimes what happens is like a studio is interested in a certain type of movie and they'll just go into the stack of scripts that they own. So they'll be like, all right, Halloween's coming up. It turns out ghosts are hot right now. <laughs> I'm just going to put my hand into the pile of ghost movies, take a random one out, give the latest like music video director a couple million dollars, the hottest white lady and the hottest white guy that we know are going to be in this. And we'll just, just mix these things together and we'll make some money in the, in the box office. And instead I found myself reading like Ridley Scott writes an alternative script for day of the dead. And it was extremely different than what they ended up making. Suffice to say, (laughs) and was like, awesome. And so I was like, okay, well now I need to start watching horror. Like I've been reading all this stuff essentially training, I guess, by watching Japanese people throw each other into barbed wire and men in short shorts punching each other on the ground on the face. Sure. And then I was, it turns out, yes, I was ready to watch horror as like part of my obscene amount of violence consumption and first landed in like a very pretentious place with it where I was like, I'm going to only like really artsy shit. I'm going to like only like classic shit. I'm going to reject the like, I still basically don't like any like slashers or anything like that, but where I'm able to like appreciate the cheesiness is in sci-fi horror where there's the possibility that the protagonist is going to lose or like take serious damage or like in like zombie genre, for example, sometimes they just like everybody just loses. Everybody dies at the end. Sure. It's a, Day of the dead. Yeah. Oh, right. I mean, they don't all die, but they're really fucked. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So a bunch of my favorite horror movies are sci-fi horror. This one is as well. I think my favorite pure horror movie is The Descent. And my friend Claire stole that from me, snatched that (laughs) one from me. But I looked at this as an opportunity to put a movie on people's radar that probably wasn't on people's radar because it's old and like sort of grindhousey. And I really wanted to be on this podcast. So I like started pressing you on it. But like a big part of it is I wanted you to watch it because I'm really interested to hear what you thought about it. Because I don't know, I listen to your opinion about horror all the time on this show. And I'm like, well, now I want it to be personal. Tell me what you think about this movie that I choose. (laughs) The like DJ and me wants to like pull something out that you hadn't heard of before and then hit you with it and be like, now this is one of my favorites. And then I like put on my sunglasses and strut away. Boom. Yeah. Hey, look, you had been pressing me on it. You were like, I think you'll love this movie. Let's talk about it. And you were right. And I shouldn't have waited so long because the movie (laughs) does rock. I do want to say, I think that it's really interesting. I think you're the first person who's talked about coming into the genre through action. And I think that that's something that's really interesting because I haven't really talked about it on the show, but on the Patreon, I was watching the X-Files and writing up like my thoughts on the episodes. It was my first time watching the X-Files and I had done like five seasons of watching along with the X-Files and uh, writing up what I thought. And at the beginning of every post about it, I would just talk about things I had watched that week. And, Maybe, maybe it was still this year. It's hard to, you know, time is, time is hard to judge these days. Just, just (laughs) stare into the sky and think how many people had died of COVID? Was it half? So many. 750,000? Roughly Uh, where were we with this? Which, which variant was killing people in mass? It was at least two variants. Oh, okay. At least. So now the audience has a little bit of an idea where we're at. (laughs) (laughs) And I started getting really into Korean cinema. And part of what I loved about it is that the action movies, first of all, Korean cinema, as we know it, is very new in the grand scheme of things. 
And because of that, it's able to take so many different influences and just kind of put them into a stew. And then that's its own thing. And that's why so many people were like, oh, wow, like Parasite is comedy and horror and all of these things. And that does extend, I think, beyond just Bong Joon-ho's incredible talent, which don't get me wrong, he's fantastic. But a lot of Korean movies do this. And I think a lot of their action movies do have an element of horror to them, especially stuff like Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance yes. and, and um, I Saw, I the, saw devil. the Devil. Yes, yep. of course. And part of what I love about these movies is that gun culture doesn't really exist over there. And so it's not a bunch of people like shooting at each other and we're just seeing like CGI muzzle flash. Right. It's hand to hand. It's knives and, and bats and stuff. And they don't cut so often and you get to really be like, I'm watching people fight. I'm watch. I can I can follow what's happening. It's much more visceral because it's up close, and it is just such an incredible genre that I had such a wonderful time exploring. I'm still finding new stuff. Everything that I've seen so far has been pretty good. I, yeah. I am starting to get into some of the less cream of the crop right. ones. You're going down a couple rings. Yeah, but it's still like. It's, it's really incredible. I've seen a lot of really great stuff. So something I like about what they do is I feel like they cast the like leads for like sort of charisma or something instead of sure. like we really look at physicality in, in the US, right? And the fact that they are not 280 pound guys makes mm-hmm. them seem more vulnerable and makes it believable when they're challenged mm-hmm. and like fail and like their partner dies in like early act two and you're like wow i thought that was going to be like the most important thing that happens and you're, and you're like oh no like, his wife is <laughs> oh, going to no. die at the end of act two and you're, you know <laughs> shit's going to keep getting worse for this dude because he's just a re- he's just a regular guy who was like i'm an okay cop yeah and then suddenly he's up against like a, a brilliant serial killer who's like ha- has like all these schemes and he's he's more than one step behind he's many steps behind and I feel like the only American director who does this, and I don't, I'm interested to see how you characterize like Blue Ruin and Green Room, and what's so, the other yeah, one called yeah. with um, Elijah Wood, the one I don't want to be in oh. this world anymore, or something like that. Yeah, all well, that. So Macon Macon Blair is in Blue Ruin, but he didn't direct it. Jeremy but they're Sonia did. They are yes, similar. Yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah. I don't know, but they were like film school bros or something, right? So like they work together I'm a lot. I'm willing to just treat them as interchangeable. Sure. <laughs> but like, what is that? Like, is that horror? I think that's a horror movie. Definitely. Oh, I, I totally think so. Especially, I mean, we have covered Green Room on this show, and oh, I okay. I love that movie so much. And it is episode. so, it's such a, like, a gut punch. You know, not only the, like, fear of, hey, Nazis are back, but right. also, like, the violence is horrific in the truest sense of the word. It's so gnarly. It's like everybody has bad weapons and no skill using them. There's mm-hmm. no score. It's, like, realistic sounds. And it's just like, oh, man, I really didn't want to watch this, like, these two guys fight with like a pocket knife right? (laughs) and like mix it up. You know what I'm saying? Like that level. And like, there's a couple horror movies. Like I talk about inside a lot. Have you seen inside? It's a, it's a famous one because it has, um, Oh, the French one. No, I I haven't gotten to that one yet. Someone else was just talking about it, right? It's about like someone trying to get a fetus. Yeah. So basically this woman's next door neighbor pops by and it's like, Hey, pregnant lady, you like, you moved into our neighborhood. I'm going to like help you out because you're a Sweet. single pregnant lady in Great. the big city. I'm like the nice neighbor. And then it turns out that lady wants the baby. Ah, and she's just classic. called La Femme. They just call her the woman because we never even learn her name. Wow. But it gets, it gets, it gets fucking real gnarly. Cause it's just those two women fighting a wow. lot. 
That's cool. And one of them is pregnant. Oh. So like, it's not like they're fucking breaking out moves. Like it's not right. Martial artsy. It's definitely just like two people using whatever they can find in a living room to kill the other person. Yeah. That's cool. And you're just watching and you're like, and one of them's a pregnant woman. So it's like a whole thing. It's wild. The gimmick in that move. Do you know the gimmick of it? I well, I'm not going to spoil it. I don't think so. Okay, cool. Well, I'm not gonna... I think we've exhausted everything I know about that okay, movie. Cool. So if it hasn't come up. <laughs> so there, there is a, let's call it cinematic flourish that they use throughout mm. that movie that is preposterous and amazing. And like, they really go for it. Sometimes you want directors and art directors and things like that to really try something like, you know, like Argento does like, what if everything was like neon colors? And if that doesn't work, it's fucking embarrassing and you just never have heard of his movies but instead it's like brilliant so in this i think it's the first one i think it's basically pretty embarrassing but all the rest of it that isn't the thing that i'm talking about is so awesome <laughs> that you but, it, but the nice thing is that it allows you to appreciate it on both levels is you're like i'm gonna make fun of this stupid ass thing everyone who's listening mm-hmm. to the show that has seen that movie right now is like almost angry that i'm not saying it but i really don't want to spoil it for you <laughs> My wife is thumbs upping there about the way I'm presenting this, but it, it, it's so amazing. I'm sure it'll come up eventually. This is the second time someone's mentioned it pretty recently. So I'm thinking that we're getting to that point where someone's going to pick it for the show. <laughs> Someone might have to just to force you to watch it. I know you're a busy guy and you got to apparently you're watching X-Files. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so someone's going to make you to make you go find however you'd get that movie this is genuinely how it works is like i just like beg people to pick a movie i haven't seen so that i get a chance to watch new stuff and also before we just get too far from it i think the sonier and macon blair stuff is a great comparison in terms of like yeah those actors are just dudes like it's it's uh, anton yelchin and macon blair and they're just like i mean no offense to macon blair but he's like kind of schlubby in that yeah. movie <laughs> like purposely purpose like very purposefully i mean even when you compare it to like uh lee byung hun in something like a bittersweet life where he's like he is a bodyguard in that but he's still just like a wiry dude like he's not right the rock standing there and being like all right well i guess he's gonna be throwing people through walls right because with this when he does throw people through walls you're like holy shit <laughs> that guy just threw someone through a wall and you get the idea that it's from desperation or anger or something instead of just this is a thing mm-hmm. you can always do yeah yeah We've kind of danced around it, but do you have a favorite subgenre? Yeah, it's definitely sci-fi horror. I think The Thing is my favorite movie of all time. Hard to say no to that, you know? It's just so incredible. Again, that's not a hot take. <laughs> that That's not anything that anyone is going to be impressed by. But yeah, I mean, Alien, Look, Aliens. Sometimes there's you're not, you don't got to impress people. Yeah. The Thing fucking yes. rules. <laughs> it's also like, just go ahead and make sure that anyone who's open to seeing yeah. The Thing who hasn't seen it, you want to make sure you collect those people and make sure that they watch it. So yeah, just put it out there. To I'm telling complete. you right now, if there's anyone listening to this yeah. show that hasn't seen the thing. Like, I don't know what's happening, but please go watch it. <laughs> Get to it. Yes. Get to it. Yeah. And then, so I'm one of the people that argues, you know, the Terminator is a slasher. That's great. Terminator two is a great action movie. And they're like the alien Terminator aliens, Terminator two in the mix in there somewhere is some really, is really perfect stuff. I also really like all the predator movies. I feel like predator two is really underrated as like a schlocky fun movie. It has Gary. It's, Gary's so much it. overacting in that movie is insane. Yeah, I mean, people people think that the Game Over Man is the best thing. It's good. It's it is good. <laughs> but no, my man has some better lines in Predator too. Like there there's some sure. like extra work that he's doing in that. Like I'll watch sometimes and just watch what he's doing in the background. Like one of my favorite things is there's like a scene where they're in the police station and Danny Glover is talking to the police chief in the foreground and in the background, Bill Paxton is demonstrating his golf shot to one of the female cops and the female cop is just standing there like just looking at him like i just wish you would fall over dead 
and he like thinks he's yeah. impressing her and i'm like that's so fucking <laughs> perfect like every everything he does that is, is like, great like that so like this movie is in the spirit of that i think where it's like this is a movie sure. you should watch when you are drunk with your boys or you're hung over by yourself and you're not ready to like really get going with your day you maybe you got some gatorade maybe that you got some right. dr pepper <laughs> And you're trying to like get those electrolytes in you and you just want to watch basically a 90 minute chase scene, right? <laughs> like definitely I was writing notes and I was like, I can't believe how much of this movie is chase scene. It's yeah, almost all of it. The, so much of it. Yeah. <laughs> also, I'm just like really happy for Bill Paxton that he's in alien and predator franchises. Good for him. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's got a good agent or a good taste or something. Something happened there. Something. They were just, they were smart. Also, would those man. movies even be good without him? We'll never, we'll never know. Who could say? Who could say? But the movie we're talking about today is The Hidden, directed by Jack Shoulder, released in 1987. Um, Jack Shoulder worked on pretty decent amount of classic horror. Uh, he edited The Burning. He wrote Alone in the Dark. Ooh. He directed Wishmaster 2, Evil Never Dies, great name, <laughs> and Nightmare on Elm Street 2, which I happen to love. <laughs> So there you go. I mean, that's that's uh, a whole fistful of that's great horror. I've done. Yeah, I've got what two podcast themes to my credit. That's about it. He's <laughs> got some hitters there, heavy hitters. You're close. You're you still got a lot of podcast game ahead of you. Thanks, bud. <laughs> and so after Nightmare on Elm Street two, he said, "I was very fussy about what I wanted to do next." Then the hidden came along, and I thought it had a wicked sense of humor, the cop thing going, and it had some heart to it. There were some sequences I just wanted to see. There you go. The movie was written by Jim Kauf under Kauf, maybe. I don't know. I probably should have looked up how to pronounce nope. that guy's name, but I didn't. So it's either Kauf or Kauf. He's not worth it. Well, the real on. issue is that he wrote it under the pseudonym Bob Hunt, which is very easy to say. <laughs> so really his own fault. Although Jack did help to shape the script a little bit. And Jim, on the re-release of like the DVD, did finally take credit and put his name Dang. back on the script. Bye bye, Bob Hunt. We don't need you. We got Mr. Cough. Yeah. Or, uh, or coach. <laughs> His name is a mystery. This other quote he said, it was written as kind of a romp. You had these two <laughs> characters, and with them, you could focus on what it means to be a good person and what it means to be a bad one. I wanted to help shape it in that direction. The writer had wanted to direct it, but since he wasn't, he simply wasn't interested in doing anything more than selling it. So I actually did a rewrite, which mainly involved the characters. I added the whole thing with Detective Beck's family and the little girl. In the original, Beck was married, and there was a whole scene with his wife, but I felt they had kind of a breezy relationship and wanted them to have something stronger, so I added their daughter. That was my major contribution. I mean, it was a really good script. Most of what you see is what Jim wrote, but I sort of beefed it up at the end. Interesting. So, I mean, (laughs) without the daughter, there's barely a plot, (laughs) right? It certainly lacks a lot of the punch, yeah. I think. I mean, the ending, I think, is wild. Oh, yeah. Oh, we'll mm-hmm. talk about the ending. <laughs> mm-hmm. It stars K-Mac himself, Kyle MacLachlan. What a guy. Do we know how he got cast, by the way? I mean, he's perfectly cast, right? Like He's just he's yeah. the Twin Peaks guy. I do know how he got cast. So they talked about this cool. in the commentary, which I did listen to. I watched what it this, uh, this, this evening. And it's like a two-part thing where, first of all, Jack talks about how... Kyle came in an audition and he wasn't really that impressed with like his look for it. And then he said, I looked through the camera and he looked totally different. And he like, he said he like popped back up 
and he he still wasn't impressed. And he looked back through the camera and he said, the camera does change the way you look. And a lot of us, we look at ourselves in the mirror or in the camera and we say, I don't think that this is flattering to the way that I look. <laughs> but he says that for Kyle MacLachlan, it really helps turn him into a movie star. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. Yeah. What a nice thing to say. <laughs> and then this was a quote from Michael Nowry, who people might know mostly as the male lead in Flashdance. He said, I read the script and I really liked it. And Kyle McLaughlin was a friend of mine. And we were auditioning the same day for different parts. So as we were waiting to go in and audition, we talked about it and we both liked it. And we said to each other, I'll do it if you do it. So we made the pact and they cast both of us. And that's how that came about. Oh, all right. He's taking credit. I mean, hey, when you're the Twin Peaks guy and the Flashdance guy, you just need to f- form up, I guess. Can't lose. Can't lose. Yeah. Yeah. Kyle, he's great in this. He's great. He's a Lynch regular. Great Claudius and Hamlet. The guy can do it all. Wow. Yep. That's it all. That's it all. Those are the three things. Claudius, the hidden, and <laughs> Lynch. <laughs> three things. <laughs> yep. Speaking of Claudius, Claudia Christian plays brenda that's our girl brenda she's sure, going on hey. to do queen shit right now <laughs> the problem was that in the commentary they just kept calling her claudia because that was her real name and i was like oh. this is not helping me at all <laughs> <laughs> and shoulder said that she was kind of a wild and crazy girl she was up for anything had a really good attitude and really really went for the role and i think that that definitely describes what's going on here she is really going for it now as far as nowry They have since patched things up a bit, but I did find this interesting quote from Shoulder where he said, well, Kyle was great and Michael was very difficult. (laughs) 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 It was probably the toughest situation I have ever had with an actor. And now I'm stepping outside of the quote for a second to say he's comparing that to Jack Palance, notorious butthead. (laughs) (laughs) All right, back to the quote. Part of that was him. And I think part of that was me. Part of it might have been that he was expecting to have a huge career. After Flashdance, I believe he thought he was going to be a big star. Now here he was in this little horror film by this little company with this guy whose last movie was the sequel to Nightmare on Elm Street. I think he felt like I didn't know what I was doing and that he'd better protect himself. He wanted to make sure that he sort of controlled his performance. It was my third feature, but I had never encountered an actor who didn't want to do what I asked him to do or who was sort of diametrically opposed to everything I asked him to do. You often hear that everyone loved each other on a set, and it's all bullshit. Honestly, because of Nowry, I was always a little bit off balance. Oh, wow. I feel like his performance was great, by the way. He is great, and it is interesting, I think, that this dynamic, like, I don't think it comes across on screen and diminishes the performance at all. And it's interesting to hear that he was, like, pushing back on the direction, because... Like, who knows what the direction was? Yeah, maybe it was bad. Got. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, interesting. I also like, did he kind of go away? Because I feel like I don't know very much else that he did. Is it possible yeah. that he was a dick enough that everyone just got bored of hiring him? I think that that might be the case. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, man. The movie had a $5 million budget, made just under $10 million at the box office. Double your money, not too shabby, but not quite what studios tend to consider a smashing success. Despite that, the industry loved the movie, and he was pretty buzzed about getting offered and turning down Gremlins 2. Okay, that was not a good choice. 
<laughs> well, he was mad about that looking back, but he also said that he had so little passion for it that he might have been dreadful instead of the former best horror movie ever made. That's right. I forgot that was also one. <laughs> A lot of people love that movie. It's fun. It's very fun. Yeah. It's just like, does it really, it doesn't add much for me to what the first one has. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just some fun little guys. Maybe I would like it if I watched it again. Just hanging out with the gremlins. <laughs> it's more gremlins, Chris. How can you, yeah. how can you turn that down? Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. One of them is lightning. All right. Oh, come on. <laughs> One of them is lightning. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into the actual movie. First of all, starts off with a guy robbing a bank. Cool as you like, but not afraid to let that thing rock. We only see it on the CCTV, which rules. Yeah, such a cool choice. Such like yes. a fucking bold choice to open in shitty, weird angle green. <laughs> oh, so good. It is great. And the guy smiles and then shoots it out. And he strolls out to his car and we get this absolutely sick car chase to start this movie. And in the commentary, he said that he uh, it was initially scripted to start with Beck finding a corpse in Jack DeVry's apartment. You know, like that we were we would be seeing the aftermath of the transfer into DeVry's. Oh, okay. And then but then he said, I agree that going right to the robbery is a much more punchy opening. Hell yeah. But also like, I don't know, it helps it be more of a mystery for longer. Sure. Like our like the audience who hasn't watched this doesn't have any idea what we're talking about already. (laughs) (laughs) And there was another quote where he said there was this elaborate bank robbery that started off the story in the script. But New Line didn't want to do it. They felt it wasn't a bank robbery movie and didn't want to spend the money on it. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool, rather than starting with the robbery, to just begin with the guy walking out of the bank holding the sack of money and people start shooting at him? Then we go into the car chase. But when we saw the film cut together, though, it just didn't feel like a strong opening. And we decided we somehow needed to do the robbery. But again, they didn't want to spend a lot of money. So I said, hey... Why don't we set up the camera like it's a surveillance unit and we'll do the whole thing in one shot? We found a bank that had recently gone out of business across from Grauman's Chinese Theater, and that's what we did. He also said later that they also used a like camcorder to film it and then recorded the screen. So it's like too removed. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good story. There you go. <laughs> well, the way the robbery works, too, for the audience that hasn't seen the movie is that just a man in a trench coat just shoots everyone in the bank and then takes the money. It's not like any sort of organized. He doesn't even seem to yell, get on the ground. He's not wearing a mask. Yeah, he just shoots a bunch of people and yeah. takes the money again in a sack. <laughs> Which is, I guess that's how you get money from yeah, a bank. Hey, it's in a bag. It's got a giant dollar sign on it. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> he also said regarding the actual car chase, he, he said that he came into it thinking, How would a guy drive if he knew he couldn't be killed? And I think the aggression in this car chase totally comes through. I think it's handled incredibly well. On Your Feet by Shock Paris is playing. Super fun. You know, he's crashing into old ladies on purpose. He's driving through a park, which ruled. Oh, yeah. So good. Through an art festival. Yeah. (laughs) In the commentary, Jack said that the studio wanted it to be a Corvette instead of a Ferrari. Yeah, to save money. But Corvettes have a fiberglass body and they don't dent. So there you go. Had to be a, had to be a Ferrari. They probably spent three quarters of their budget on <laughs> cars that they wrecked in this, this movie. 
Well, he did specify that they only got one in pretty good condition of the four <laughs> stages of various disrepaired Ferraris that they got. <laughs> they just had to shoot around the, I don't know what, stains and rips in the leather. I don't know. <laughs> one was just a shell. He was like, this is just oh, a wow. frame. Yeah. Okay. And that's the one they blew up. Spoiler alert. Oh, yeah. A yeah, couple okay. seconds from now. <laughs> he also said in his studies of car chases that he found the best ones have a lot of car-to-car action. And so he fought <laughs> to keep that stuff the most in the editing room, but they did have to shorten it because he felt that they filmed too much. So it is interesting to be like, all right, well, what's the actual good parts of a car chase that we like? Turns out, it's the car-to-car action, baby. Yeah, that's how I would say it. Yeah, When I when I put in my filters on uh, <laughs> Car Chase Hub. I'm looking for night. some hot car-to-car action. <laughs> <laughs> that's right oh there's a so there's a piece of this chase that i really like that's like i don't know is it funny does that count as funny i'm not sure they have the bit there's the old bit where two people are carrying glass a pane of glass yeah a pane of glass and like they try and go left they try and go right try and go out of the way and then somebody like crashes through the glass or whatever and in this case what happens is he just hits both guys and breaks the glass yep he sure does <laughs> It's, I mean, it's a great gag. It's amazing stunt work. Like this dude really oh, yeah. flips over the fucked up in this movie for sure. For <laughs> he like also $50. specifically aims for the glass. He's like going for them. <laughs> Jack, the, the director, did call out Speed as another great car chase that came after this that he felt possibly superseded it on a technical level. <laughs> possibly. Okay. Possibly. <laughs> he he feels this is truly one of the greats. Mm-hmm. And you know what? He's right. <laughs> yeah. When when in um, French Connection did did somebody drive through an art fair and hit a man in a wheelchair? Didn't happen. I, I didn't see no. that. Popeye Doyle, eat your fucking heart out. <laughs> the Italian job? No. To live and die in L.A. Oh, he drives backwards on the highway. Who gives a shit? <laughs> Not that guy in the wheelchair who's perfectly safe. I can tell you that. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned that it, it is kind of a gag. It, th- there is, I think, funny moments in this. You know, when the cops are investigating and the neighbor's like, yeah, that's the guy, real quiet type. What did he do? Rob a bank? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah that guy's guy. wearing the sweetest 1980s tennis outfit, too. My God, I love that guy. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Officer Tom Beck arrives at the roadblock. Really great, like, crane shot here as it swings up. And they take the shotgun from, well, he takes the shotgun from another cop, which I thought he, was he does this well. multiple times in the movie where he just says, give me your gun. And some other cop is like, I'm not supposed to do. Oh, OK. You've <laughs> taken my gun for me now. <laughs> One time he reaches into the guy's pants and yes, pulls it that's out. Very outrageous. And that guy just is like, OK, sir, and runs away. <laughs> you don't fuck with Beck. Mm-mm. You saw what he did to those dancers in Flashdance. Right? Oh, yeah, exactly. Yikes. You don't want him harassing you at mm-hmm. the office. the cops all open fire he's the last one to leave firing one last shot as the car skids out of control past them and the robber gets out shot to hell and bloody he laughs and smiles and the cops all shoot again blowing up the car first of all great creepy performance by this dude it's chris mulkey who plays hank in twin peaks so another twin peaks connection nice second off big old fireball love to see that at the start of a movie a great promise of what's to come Third off, this dude staggered the fuck out and was not a threat, and they all were just like, no, we don't like what you've done. You're fucking done, dude. The cop behavior is extremely (laughs) problematic in this movie. (laughs) It's troubling. It's troubling (laughs) for sure. I wrote a couple times in my notes, oh yeah, pre-militarized police. (laughs) 
They're just wearing shirts. They do okay, though. Yeah, they. well, that's because there's always a hundred of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At the hospital, miraculously, this guy is still alive. And the cops list his crimes. In two weeks, he committed 12 murders, six with a butcher's knife, and two of them kids, wounded another 23 people, stole six cars, mostly Ferraris, robbed eight banks, six supermarkets, four jewelry stores, and a candy shop. He did a lot of crimes, we must admit. <laughs> yeah, he was criming in those two weeks, man. Hardcore <laughs> criming. Rising crime, he would say, every morning. <laughs> let's, let's get this crime bread. <laughs> Beck is the best I've got. I need him, says Lieutenant John Masterson to Lieutenant Ed Flynn, uh, played by Clue Gulliger. And he's looking for security since the senator is announcing a presidential bid. In strolls, FBI agent Dale Cooper, I mean FBI agent Lloyd Gallagher, like I said, played by Kyle McLaughlin, who has assigned Beck as local law enforcement help. Beck is grumpy but acquiesces and does note Lloyd's youth. Also funny to me when Officer Willis can't make a bucket for his life in trash kit ball, but the other guy scoffs and makes it from the other side of the desk. Yeah, that's the DA from Law and Order. This group of characters really has, like, personality. You know, it'd be very easy, I think, for all of these guys to just fade into the background, but they they seem fun. Like, you recognize them as separate characters when they show up later in the movie, and you're yeah. like, all right, I know Everybody this guy's some good lines. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out Gallagher is looking for the guy they just sent to the hospital, so he rushes out to their surprise, considering the guy's condition. But it turns out the reason is because this guy is a freaking alien. He sits up with no issues and he Whoa. barfs a slug monster into the guy next to him. This Whoa. thing is just heinous looking. Disgusting. <laughs> yes. I wrote slug puppet looks great. Oh, yeah. And my wife made me write down squeezes in his mouth like a, the way that a rodent can squeeze into a small space. You know, yes. She's not wrong. And it makes a cool sound like a swarm of bugs outside. What are they called? The summer bugs? Holy shit. Not locust. Do I mean locust? Fine. Let's Maybe. say locust. Sure. Like a whole lot of locusts. Locusts definitely swarm. Yeah. Yeah, it is great. I think it really looks like pretty spectacular, especially because it's like there's not that much like puppetry in this movie. But when it is there, you're like, wow, holy shit. <laughs> this guy he gets up and he walks out much to the shock of the doctors and dismay of Gallagher, who missed him by a hair. One of my favorite moments in the commentary is when, I mean, this is very rude of him, and they're just trying to do their job, but I thought it was very funny nonetheless, when Shoulder just starts dunking on the bit players, and he was like, it's really hard in low-budget filmmaking to get good minor characters. This doctor and nurse are just atrocious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my god, he's totally right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's like a young black guy, the it's doctor, and he's terrible. That is a really bad interaction with him. <laughs> He noticed. Don't need to dunk on them, though. Yeah. I'm sure they got paid zero dollars and never became anything in Hollywood, you know? <laughs> it was intense. I did think it was funny, though. He's very frank in the commentary about what he thinks works and doesn't work in the in the movie, which I always respect. Yes, that rules. Especially when it's a kind of a schlocky movie where it's like, how big a difference, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, are your best and worst <laughs> moments in this? All right. All right. Fair enough. You're right. Yeah. That was the bad performance. There you go. He clocked it. Oh, something else I wanted to call out. So some of the banter. So you were talking about how you get to know the police a little bit and they like to really kind of like break each other's balls or whatever. Right. So there's a moment where because Beck is going to go with Kyle McLaughlin to investigate spacemen, he drops like a bunch of work on one of the other cops. <laughs> and he's like, no, come on. I haven't seen my wife in a month. 
And then everybody just jumps on him immediately with every sort of I've been banging your wife type joke that you could possibly have. Uh And then as it's kind of tailing off and as they're kind of leaving, you hear one guy say, yeah, and it seems like she's getting fat. (laughs) I miss that somehow. Oh, yeah. And then somebody follows up after that saying, yeah, it's like a beer belly. Wow. Like they must have just been improving it, I guess, because they thought like the scene is over or something. <laughs> That'll but get cut. <laughs> I, I was watching with uh, subtitles on because I didn't want to have have this movie up too loud in my house that involves a three year old and a one year old sleeping. Sure. And so got to see some of the some of the dialogue. Wow. In detail. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty 1987. That redheaded cop. God bless. He loves his curvy wife. Yeah, dude. Keep him warm <laughs> in the winter. <laughs> The alien takes his skin suit to a record store where he steals a bunch of tapes and a boombox along with some cash and a gun, beating the cashier to death in the process. This is a fun interaction. Oh my God, that guy's so cool too. He's got a crazy blazer. <laughs> record store guy. His hair is as tall as he is. Yep. <laughs> Everybody's clothes in this movie are insane. Somehow yeah. Beck, who is just wearing, is like a cop wearing a suit who usually looks the worst, right? Like usually the like lead cop is wearing like terrible. He looks fine. Sure. Everybody else looks absurd. Like everybody yeah. else looks like it's 2010 and they're doing a 1980s party. That was actually some of the direction he pushed back against. He was like, I uh, actually think I should look pretty good in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Beck and Gallagher are kind of like sniffing each other like dogs a bit, seeing who's going to be the alpha here. But Beck is impressed enough to listen, at least when the police sketch comes back as the guy Gallagher was trying to get him to find after the first skin suit died. Gallagher warns him about this guy that they're chasing. He sees something he likes. He steals it. Something gets in his way. He kills it. Ooh. Mm. <laughs> the devil has come to your town and so forth. Oh, <laughs> a lot of fast cars in this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, not only the Ferraris, but and fast women, I guess. For sure. Hey, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to say fast three times. Sounds like that. Uh, that cop's wife is getting around. Yeah. Gallagher also drives a Porsche that he says he stole, which is funny that he is so honest about it. (laughs) And after clocking the senator while greatly disturbing the patrons of a diner with the boombox and farts, uh, the alien chases after a red Ferrari he sees, although his host's heart problems present more of an issue than the gastritis that was just uh, causing him to rip some damn farts. Very loudly in the diner. That guy's his performance is great because he's pretty scary, but also farting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's hard to do, I think. Yeah. William Boyett is who All right. plays that guy. Bravo to him. Bravo. Billy to B. Him. Yeah. <laughs> he follows this Ferrari to the dealership where he gets in a scuffle because he wants the car that the guy is buying. He fights with the security guard and shoots him while the other two are doing coke out of a fun sports car container. Yep. I thought it was very funny that I like was like, oh, man, that thing is really fun. And then in the commentary, Shoulder was also like stoked on that prop. He was like, oh, man, the prop master brought it over. And I was like, that's it. <laughs> it's a great prop. <laughs> so something that's notable here, I think, is that I think in a modern movie, the slug would make it so that the skin suit is like stronger and faster and things. And that Mm -hmm. just isn't true in this. Yeah. Like, I think that's a really neat feature. The fact that he's infecting like an accountant and like a sick dude from the hospital. It's like just the only body he can find. That's just as good as the body is. Right. Yeah. Or as my note says, still farts and runs terribly. (laughs) (laughs) I do really like that. I think it's really interesting. It's something that's not done that often, but the sort of like decaying body really emphasizes that 
he is just puppeting it. Yeah. You know, when they when later Kyle McLaughlin is like, they're dead, you're like, yeah. There's no <laughs> shit. These guys are fucking dead. <laughs> right. And it also like alleviates you of the like issue that the aliens movies a little bit have, which is like, okay, if you put that big slug down inside somebody, it would kill them. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like even if it does the rodent trick where it squeezes its like rib cage or whatever, it's still gonna like squish some organs and shit. You're definitely oh, gonna yeah. die if it you don't you don't have space for that stuff in there. No. <laughs> You mostly don't have space in your torso. Yeah. There's all kinds of guts. <laughs> Occupied. Yeah. <laughs> Come back later, please. Yeah, the little the little sign is flipped to green. You know? Yeah. Or red, I guess. Red, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I also love this guy's look when he shoots them there. You know, like his eyes are all fucked up. It's really great. He doesn't do anything cool with the gun either, right? Like he doesn't stand in any sort of like badass stance. He just like right. holds the gun like in like, I guess the most... <laughs> pragmatic way possible like just the way yeah. that you would like hold a remote you're pointing at the tv <laughs> he terribly yeah. catches the keys he's like oh thank you <laughs> see you later oh, shoot shoot as he peels out in his new ferrari the cops are on his his tail but he passes a guy in a silver mercedes picking up a gal that was famed new line cinema president bob shea holy shit how about that <laughs> amazing <laughs> I really love the little scene between Beck and Gallagher in the car. This was the audition scene, and Gallagher is like a little loose. You know, he's running a yellow light and everything while Beck is pissed. But this is the moment where Gallagher gets a little backstory. He says he killed my partner, which is the first clue that to Beck that it's an alien, that it's one entity passing between them. When he said just he killed my partner, he goes, "Oh, like yeah. which one?" He says, uh, "They're both involved." All right. Yeah. I lost a partner once. We'll get Miller. Great delivery. Really, I think this is a fun way to be like, they're bonded through their trauma, kind of like, he doesn't like him, but damn it, he's a cop, and I'm gonna, with the fraternity of police. All right. Thin blue line and all that. Right. When it's an alien, still counts. (laughs) Damn you, aliens. (laughs) So they're all cops are bastards. All. Yeah, even alien the word cops. is all. <laughs> the the A stands for alien. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually ah cab because it's two A's. <laughs> all alien cops are bastards. <laughs> I like that this is the audition scene because I do think it does establish some like really good chemistry between these two guys. And like there's a lot of like subtle body language things where like Kyle McLaughlin's like bopping to the music, like first runs the red light or whatever. Back, it's yellow. He's still following the law. Gives him a look like, all right. And he puts on the seatbelt <laughs> like, all right, I guess, I guess this is how you are. <laughs> and it's like not exactly mad at him, but a little bit like bemused or something. But it's cool. Like that's. They didn't real, even put a siren on. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I mean, there was, it was a completely unmarked car. It was just a Porsche. They were just driving really yeah. fast. Well, he did steal it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Didn't bother marking it afterward, I guess. He's not really <laughs> FBI. <laughs> wow, spoilers for, again, not long, not much further in this movie. Sorry. Sorry, audience. In case you thought this was a world where some FBI agents were aliens, which it could have <laughs> been that. Hey, who knows? Mm-hmm. The alien headed to the import business that he found a card for in the wallet, although there was originally supposed to be a scene at the guy's mansion first, and then he was like, what are we doing? This is adding a lot of length that we don't need here so they chop that out and i think it's better for it yes i did roll my eyes a little bit when what happens is he just pulls business cards out of every location we're gonna see for the rest of the movie (laughs) (laughs) two for the import business (laughs) 
to make sure we know. Yeah. He also, I really like that he gets like pissed about the happy music and he like eyeballs himself in the mirror. They said that it was supposed to be Frank Sinatra originally. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wasn't it like a country song though? It is. Yeah. It's okay. Like, uh, so they just didn't want to pay for a Frank Sinatra song. I guess so. Oh, that would have made sense. Okay. Cause the guy, I mean, right, cause the guy who, or I was, wonder if it was that way in theaters. Did you see this in theaters? No, I'm no, wondering no. if it was that way in theaters and then just on release. Wow. I'm not that old, George. Jesus. Had to renegotiate the rights, maybe. No, but but if you think about it, that guy's coded as like a mafia Italian guy. Mm. So it makes sense that he would be listening to Frank Sinatra because if you're like, I want to make sure that this guy is as generically mafia Italian as possible, the sure. way we're going to do it is have him do coke, have him wear a crazy suit, have him wear a pinky ring, have him listen to Frank Sinatra. Now the audience gets it. Boom. The last step of that is also have him smuggle a buttload of weapons, which he's keeping in the other room. Mm -hmm. Turns out he's an arms dealer, but this guy's body is giving out on him from the food and exercise and excitement. I think that this he specifically called out in this scene. He was like, we didn't like have to do this scene. It doesn't make a ton of sense that the body would be like fighting back against the alien because it's already dead. But. It's just a fun scene. And I was like, yeah, it is a fucking fun scene where the tentacles poking out of his arm and stuff. Yeah. So the way that I interpreted it was that the alien was like kind of re... Let me try to think how to say this. Like when you're holding something and you start to drop it and then you like re-grab it. Mm. That's how I kind of imagine it is that it was like as the body was like sort of falling apart that the slug was like scrambling around inside. And that's how it ended up pushing the tentacle out the arm. Sure. But as you say, the director didn't say that. So that's just some shit I made up. Well, they should have hired me to punch it up. I would have been <laughs> nine years old when they were writing this movie. So maybe wouldn't have done a good job. Man, but may imagine that movie, though, if they were just like, <laughs> what do you think? Nine year old <laughs> for explosions again, a nine year old that was too scared to watch like anything resembling a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does get very horrific here. This shit is nasty. He just like tapes it together with packing tape, which is somehow worse. <laughs> Mm-hmm. The cops have found a flamethrower. I'm sure that won't come back. <laughs> Picked it up off a homeboy. Sure. Says Paul Robinette, the DA from Law and Order that I just looked up his name. Shoulder talked proudly about adding this himself. And I <laughs> thought that was, first of all, just very funny. Just to be like, <laughs> yeah, this fucking flamethrower was my idea. <laughs> but first of all, it is a great idea. And second of all, talking about the end for a moment... He said that the script originally ended much more ambiguously Hmm. and that the usage of the flamethrower doesn't happen and that person just gets away. Oh, okay. So we're left wondering if that person manages to become president. Right. Okay. (laughs) I mean, he could barely talk. He was like, (laughs) I want to be president. I like your car. (laughs) That's as good as the slug guy can do. It's not great. He's just, uh, he's repeating what he he could give. He couldn't have held up in a debate. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Hey, man, that fly was the talk of the town. We've seen bugs be very popular at the debates. (laughs) Forgot about that fucking fly. (laughs) Ah, you're right. He would have (laughs) won. He would have won. He would have won. That's what we're getting at. That was my (laughs) point all along. I'm glad I got you to admit it. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I just thought that that was interesting. You know, it's obviously very different, but I, I, you know, who knows? Beck invites Gallagher over for dinner and he's really like drinking in the scene, which I like. He's really absorbing what's going on. He says that he lives alone in a one-bedroom apartment compared to the sort of uh, pastoral family landscape that's unfolding before us. I feel like this is, again, like a better scene than it should be. The wife is in charge of kind of encouraging him, but he like 
doesn't really push back against the wife in a way that I feel like I feel like in a worse script, what happens is he like makes a big deal out of the fact that his wife is forcing him to do it. Mm-hmm. But instead he like clearly loves her. And it's, and as soon as she tells him invite your partner over instead of being like, but he's weird. <laughs> uh, I don't want to like, he's just like, okay, he's coming. That's what's happening. Yeah. And then he like invites him. And again, the DA from law and order is there and it says, no, I got plans, you know, ladies. <laughs> it's like, yes. Why are you the coolest character? <laughs> You get to be the one who makes the basket in trash get ball. You get to carry the flamethrower. You get to just generically say that you're busy because ladies. <laughs> Anytime they need something done, they say, all right, bring this guy in. <laughs> I I agree, though. I think the scene is great. I think when he walks into the bedroom oh, and man. they realize that he's there and you're like, oh, this family loves each other. They are not nearly as upset as they should be about the fact that an adult man that they don't know just walked into the room where they were putting their kids to bed and stares at it. <laughs> oh man is weird about it. <laughs> he's almost like he's a damn alien. Yep. The little girl who's dressed like an American girl doll. <laughs> she sure is. It's like staring at him meaningfully. And we know as the audience, mm-hmm. she knows he's an alien ooh, or something, <laughs> something she sees through his visage. He also does the same face touching in the mirror that the bad guy did. Like, Oh, Mm. he's an alien too Mm. (laughs) (laughs) he's yoda that was him (laughs) you're right i'll stop making the weird yoda sound every time you talk that's a good note that's a good note okay (laughs) wasn't trying to give notes what am i jack shoulder (laughs) meanwhile beck is saying hello and good night to his daughter like i said the daughter is juliet his wife is barbara she's there they eat dinner and he gets drunk immediately because he's never drank alcohol before. We don't know what their ability to process alcohol is like. Clearly not good. Mm-mm. It is funny, but also his guard is down. So we get a little more backstory here, including that the alien also killed his wife and kid. Goddamn, this alien's bad news. Whoa. Or his wife and kid are the same person and they're all his partner. Whoa. I don't think that's true. They never specify otherwise. They didn't say in the commentary if that was or wasn't true. Yeah. He- <laughs> It's like he killed him in a metaphorical sense. Mm -hmm. The alcohol causes him to pass out at Beck's, but he's roused in the night because a cop found the Ferrari downtown at the Harem Room Club. Which we know from the business card. Exactly. Classic callback. Mm -hmm. Sharp-eyed viewers will notice. (laughs) (laughs) A complete, extremely neat construction in this movie. Yeah. Everything they introduce, they pay it off. No problem. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And- it's this like camera, like the it's like a great pan down over the guy with the camera while he's sitting at the bar and he's sitting there with his bag of guns and he's bleeding out on the table. It's fucking gross. <laughs> he's just farting and bleeding. <laughs> and everyone at the strip club is like, that's how it goes. Yeah. This is who comes into strip clubs these days. This is the classic patron of <laughs> the harem room club. Mm-hmm. Claudia's money thong is amazing. Yep. And he thinks so, too, because he follows her backstage to her displeasure. They said that she worked out that routine herself and that it was originally a Tina Turner song. Wow. Okay. Instead, it's this awesome song that says, I want to be a bad girl over and over again. And it was fun. Awesome. Yep. And she was a bad girl. Mm-hmm. She kills a lot of people. <laughs> she really does. <laughs> Shoulder said the alien chose her because she looked like she was having fun. Oh, okay. Great reason. I mean, he's also clearly horny. Like something you didn't mention in the um, where he's in the import place is that there's like a statue of a woman, like a mm, classical statue. Sure. 
with like its arms missing and he like rubs its boobs. Oh yeah. That's what he likes, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so he's horny, I guess, even though I don't know, he's a slug. Sure. So that's weird. Hey, it's a good thing that he landed in America and not freaking Greece. He'd never leave the damn bedroom <laughs> or the damn museum, I guess. Rubbing statues all day. Yeah. Yeah. He, what's Who's going to stop him? A docent? No. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. He's an invincible slug. <laughs> The cops all go in, but they let someone leave first. It's Brenda. She's acting very strangely. Also, I have never seen butt cleavage before like this. Oh my god. What a dress. She's wearing an insane dress that shows butt cleavage. Truly, I like it's I'm this is a remarkable dress in just like not even like a horny way. It's just like I've never seen a dress like that. <laughs> she gets harassed by this guy on the street wearing a Lamborghini jacket and since the cops are like Hey, leave that Ferrari alone. She takes him up on the offer to follow him to the lot and check out his car, which I apparently foolishly assumed would be a Lamborghini. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not the case. Fool. You're a fool. It is a nice car, but it's not a Lamborghini. It is a, a, a green Cadillac that they painted to match the jail. And this green is also on her jacket. It's a nice color motif that uh, persists through the whole movie. Hmm, okay. Seems unnecessary, but great. God bless. <laughs> and uh, then she fucks him to death in this car and steals it. Mm-hmm. She takes a moment to rub her own boobs in the rearview mirror for a second. <laughs> right. Because again, right. he likes rubbing boobs, sometimes on statues, sometimes on his own self. <laughs> this is the equivalent of when the guy like looked in the mirror and he was like, oh, my face is weird. Now he's like, all right, let's feel out the old <laughs> chest area. Yep. See how everything's going down there. It's going great. <laughs> See, he does get into it, too. He's like, okay. All right. (laughs) The cops are in pursuit. This is actually the assistant director on screen left and shoulder himself on screen right. Oh, yeah. Wow. (laughs) But she opens fire and destroys their car before speeding off. Beck and Gallagher do spot them and chase after her, but she sees them as well and blows out their window. Mid chase gunfight. Very fun. It's almost better than car on car action. Oh, almost. (laughs) Almost. Mm -hmm. She crashes into what I thought was a store at first, but it turns out it's like a mannequin factory. <laughs> yep. It's creepy. That's for sure. It's just a lot of neon and mannequins. It's the neon and mannequin store. Right. This leads to a fun shootout. She didn't even flinch at getting shot multiple time, which stuns Beck. He's very taken aback by this. Taken aback by this even. Nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she heads through a door labeled Neptune Neptune. It's probably why he's named Beck, by the way. I thought it was because he's a loser, baby. So why don't you kill him? Hmm. A little, little classic reference to musical artist back out there for the kids. <laughs> I mean, did you think I didn't laugh because I didn't get it? Or No, just for the kids. Oh, okay. For the kids. Oh, for the kids. Okay. For the kids. Okay. I don't know if they know Beck. Probably not. In the time of chimpanzees, he was a monkey. Hmm. That's him. Mm-hmm. Kids. <laughs> I like this Neptune Neptune label. I don't know if it was a joke or not, but it made me laugh. So there you go. Well, how is it a joke? I don't even know. Just because they're aliens. Oh, fuck. Okay. <laughs> I was like, why would a mannequin factory be called Neptune? That's what I was. That's where I was sure. stuck. Because they're aliens. But I didn't get the joke of the podcast name. So, well, <laughs> shows where I'm at. I guess. It's all coming together today, folks. <laughs> they chase her to the rooftop where Beck gets knocked over and hangs from the ledge. Gallagher shoots her and saves Beck, though. And then he uses like a funky looking gun to compel the alien out. But rather than accept this. I'll kill you first. And then launches herself through the neon sign and onto the pavement below. 
amazing stunt, great performance by Claudia, this, like, gagging on the alien and, like, having it change her voice and everything. Uh, I just think this whole scene is pretty damn spectacular. Yeah, it really is. It's an, it's it's upsetting the shootout where she's just not really participating, just kind of standing there getting shot and shooting yeah. back at them. And then followed by this big stunt. It's a really it's a pretty solid. I'm trying to decide if it's the best set piece. Maybe. Maybe. Really good. It is really good. Dog goes to check her out, though, and her eyes fly open. Preposterous scenario. You like obviously you see this coming, but it's still like pretty shocking and effective when it happens. I mean, it's upsetting because you're you don't want that to happen to the dog. I w- but I was bumped by being angry at how lazy the cops are. Where basically they're just like strolling up on the body, and the dog runs up to it first. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, imagine yeah. what everyone else is doing in that scenario. Like the the cop that's the owner of the dog is just like. Well, he ran away to go and mess with the body. What am I going to do? Classic crime scene tampering. <laughs> <laughs> the coroner's like, we found dog hairs inside the bullet wounds. <laughs> Don't, Don't worry about, about that. <laughs> <laughs> I like to bring my dog to all the crime scenes. You know how it goes. Who doesn't? Mm-hmm. And hey, if your dog was as good an actor as this dog is a good oh actor. God, he's so good. Look, Kyle McLaughlin is great in this, but maybe this dog is the best actor. <laughs> I mean, the dog manages to make some of the same facial expressions as the other possessed characters. Wild. Truly it's, wild. It's wild. I would, if it was a modern movie, I would have assumed it was CGI somehow wow. that they made him make the same, like lick the lips thing, make the same, like dead eyes. I don't know. Mm. It's really good. Yeah. The dog is awesome and cute and very cute. Yeah. That's a big plus. Yep. Kyle McLaughlin also very cute. Not as cute as this dog. Yeah. The dog uh, has moved away, though. He's looking at him from a distance and growling. And so Gallagher has lost the trail. He's very upset about this. It does a really good job of selling being upset, too. Like, I mean, it is maybe because the director was taking it so seriously. And like, these are very talented actors. When they wanted to put some gravity on this movie that is like kind of silly movie about a pleasure seeking, like thrill killing slug. Sure. When they want to make you upset as an audience, you are like, yeah. They pull it off, so. Yeah, even the, like, smaller emotional scenes, like, uh, later when there's, like, the hug between Beck and his wife, you're like, wow, this is, like, a nice, powerful moment between the two of them. Beck demands an explanation, but Gallagher is pissed about this whole deal, and he stalks off, so Beck has him arrested, and there's a really cool shot here where he, like, walks into a close-up, but it's a wide lens. Just a nice little... Nice little shot. And I do like the glimpses we see of Beck's family life with him calling to check in with his wife so she doesn't worry. That's a nice little touch. Yeah. News comes in from the Seattle FBI office that Gallagher is supposed to be dead, killed in the forest fires recently with his friend, Robert Stone. They never found Stone's body, though, and the picture they wired over is a friggin' Kyle McLaughlin. Whoa. Whoa. The guy from Twin Peaks. Holy shit. Also, question. Do you think the forest fire was the... UFO landing. I do think that. Okay, good. The dog staring at itself in the mirror is so funny to me. (laughs) (laughs) Again, does a good job. I mean, it's ridiculous that they wrote that in the script because they were like, all the other guys stare at the mirror. Why wouldn't the dog do it? It's like, (laughs) right. "Mm, Gotta check out the new bod. It's going to be a dog looking in the mirror, though. Is there any way we're going to make this not stupid looking? The dog almost does it. Tries so hard. Really does. Put it all into that shot. Well, it leaves a little something in the gas tank because it launches through the goddamn window of the door. Whoa. Kills Whoa. his master. 
kills his master. Master! Mm -hmm. Comes through, uh, looks like Gordon going through the Friday the 13th part four window. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, just a a fucking great dog actor. Knocks out Lieutenant John and takes him over instead. Looks very pleased with itself. Just fantastic scene. Beck confronts Gallagher and said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to continue to call him Gallagher. That's fine. For the sake of ease. But, uh, you know, we just discussed the whole body switch nonsense, so. Sure. I mean, he's right. also, a, we know, we find out his real alien name later, and. I did not write it down. Made up shit. Yeah. We wouldn't want to keep. Al Haig. Yeah, just there you go. Up. You don't want to, nobody wants to listen to us say Al Haig over and over again. Yeah, so. definitely not. So go ahead and call him Gallagher. I'll, I'll do whatever I damn well or, please. Yeah, go for it. I'm turning into hedonism slug. <laughs> mm-hmm. Beck confronts Gallagher. I was just starting to like you, but I want answers, damn it. And so Gallagher admits the truth that this thing is a damn body snatcher. I've been hunting it for nine years. Your time. Very funny uh, yes. throw in line there, which he says that Kyle suggested. Good for you, Kyle. Yep. It's awesome. Beck locks him back up in disbelief, though. And I love this transition with the cell slamming shut. Just looks fantastic. Yes. I, I wrote it down as amazing as it says. McLaughlin says, the, a career in the police didn't prepare you for this, did it? And then they cut to Beck and he says, yes, it did. And they cut back to Gallagher and it's the cell door slamming shut in his face. <laughs> That's what cops are going to do. We're just going to throw you in jail then until we figure sure. it out. Classic alien situation. I don't have an excuse to do anything more violent to you. So you're going into jail. <laughs> he should count himself lucky, honestly. Yeah. Aliens don't have rights, according to the cops. Yeah. A-A-C-A-B, as we... Right. A-A-C-A-B. Yeah. Yeah. Lieutenant John, who is now an alien, is eyeballing the senator's speech for some trouble, but gets distracted when the lab guy is testing Gallagher's weapon. He and Gallagher both can sense it, shooting a laser beam, and then it explodes. So uh, Lieutenant John here takes the opportunity to grab it. He holds Beck hostage and reveals himself by saying, I already shot you once, and I can't wait to do it again, making him take them to Gallagher, but also shooting a cop who tries to stop them so they're all aware and, and shoot the lieutenant. What a fun like reveal and like confirmation of what's been happening. Just a threat. Yeah, that's an awesome moment. I will say the cops were pretty quick to shoot their boss. <laughs> <laughs> they had been waiting for this moment. They, it really kind of felt that way. Yeah. <laughs> they serpicode his ass. Oh, yes. <laughs> they do serpico his ass, for sure. Beck <laughs> manages to knock away the alien gun, but the cop who shot the lieutenant gets too close, and he gets shot in the dick for his trouble. Dude, the, the cops get fucked up in this scene. They sure do. And Beck runs over to let Gallagher out, and he gives him the alien gun. And here comes the Lou Terminator. <laughs> That's right. He's running around. He's shooting Danny Trejo. You know Dude, Danny Trejo shows yeah. up. Amazing. <laughs> he is immediately shot. He says, What's going on, you hippie? Blam. Fucking dead. <laughs> Why does he say hippie? Okay. <laughs> this guy's clearly a hippie. Mm-hmm. He also blows up the gate with a damn grenade, which fucking rules. Yep. He tries to seduce our guy over to the dark side, revealing his alien nature fully to Beck, saying, yes, uh, you know, the Altarians, <laughs> filthy people. But being human is better, and they have nothing to stop us from taking over. Ooh. That's right. Beck does a good job of looking suspicious, but not like too hammy about it. Like he's, yeah. he's, yeah. Yeah. It's a good moment for him. Again, a good actor who, I guess, got himself out of Hollywood by being too much of a dick. <laughs> the lieutenant whips out a damn rocket launcher. But Beck domes him, 
Amazing squib. So much blood sprays from his head. <laughs> Aside from the puppet work in this, the squib work. Very, very good. Definitely. Yeah. The force turns him 90 degrees. So he shoots the rocket at the door and explodes that in a grand fashion as well. Very fun. Yeah, just cool choreography. He escapes in the chaos, but they know he'll have to change soon, and I'll be there. <laughs> Gallagher also reveals that the gun doesn't work on human flesh by shooting him. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if he needed to do it that way. <laughs> could have just told him. Yeah, you could have said, hey, this doesn't work on humans. <laughs> right. That's not the least plausible thing that you're, you've just said to him. So <laughs> I feel like if he's going to buy something, oh, this gun works on aliens only, he's going to maybe buy it. Maybe. At least, at least try. <laughs> They need to get him while he's between bodies so that it'll work. A literal trail of blood leads them to the corpse of Lieutenant, and it's revealed that this guy got into Beck's friend, Officer Willis. Sad. He's dead. Willis is at the location for the senator's speech, and they've got the message, so he goes loud, killing a cop real quick. The senator is running for the back entrance, so we've got like a three-party race here happening that I really like, with Willis taking a lot of fire, but refusing to go down cool sequence yes really good i would say the only thing that it stops this from being like perfect is that frequently the cops yell things like freeze and drop it to him <laughs> after 95 cops have already shot him and he's <laughs> returning fire the entire time yeah, yeah. hey they figure <laughs> violence hasn't worked maybe now it's time to try <laughs> negotiating Wait, is someone gonna mirandize him <laughs> <laughs> they don't have to anymore According oh, to the Supreme Court. Jesus. Beck takes two to the gut when he runs dry on ammo. First of all, very fun that running out of ammo actually has repercussions in this movie. And then also, it's just a really great performance. Like, it's sad when he's fucking dying there. And then yeah. McLaughlin's like, no, my friend Beck, my one human friend. Yeah. And also, they're not even really friends. So it's like, oh, no. <laughs> they're fast friends. <laughs> sure. All right. Oh, you know what? At this point, I'll allow them. I'll, I'll, I'll cut them some slack. And I'll say, sure, they're friends. He didn't just lock him yeah. up. Here's what, here's what we've decided. That guy's wife, sexy but thick. <laughs> this, these two, friends. These are yeah. the things we've just decided for this movie. Sure. Also, canon. the thing I made up about the slug needing to um, scramble around in the body. These sure. ones are now canon. Absolutely. Take that, shoulder. Willis finds the senator cornered in a closet. And when the rest of the gang gets there... Willis is just a skin sack. He's got the senator and Gallagher knows. Very fun moment there. Gallagher lies to Beck, who is weak as hell, that he says that they got him. And and Beck is taken to the ambulance. Another good moment. Yeah. There's a press conference where the senator does, in fact, say, I want to be president. I didn't understand his like press secretary. It seems as though she saw the confrontation occur between skin sack one and or what is his name? Willis, the cop. Mm. Willis, right? And yeah. the senator. But then later, she's just cool with it all. So maybe she didn't see it. I think that she's just being like a scheming politician. And she's like, I don't want to commit to either direction until we can <laughs> think about what's the best possible way. <laughs> sure. She knows that in the original script, he goes on to be president. So yeah, right. She doesn't she's like, wanna... oh, might as well stick with a winner, even if it's a yeah. slug. <laughs> Hey, Animorphs made a whole damn series out of basic... Wow, holy shit, this is... I'm brain blasting right now. <laughs> this is fucking Animorphs! <laughs> oh, no. Or rather, Animorphs is this, I guess, because Animorphs came later, but... That's about alien slugs coming to Earth and sneaking into people's brains to get into positions of power. Oh. Holy shit. 
Who is that writer again? What's his name? K- Koff or I believe it is a woman. It's K.A. Applegate. No, but the writer of this is Koff or something. Oh, Koff yes. We can oh. <laughs> um, uh, you ripped yes. off by the Animorphs lady. Yeah, well, she does a lot with it. Also, <laughs> nobody in this can turn into animals, except for the alien. It's a good ad by her. Yeah, definitely. Yep. I feel like it adds a lot. It's a pretty yeah. big difference. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of just being like, oh, you're just a chubby old man <laughs> that has a slug inside you and you're going to yeah. try and run down the street. Right. And it's going to just look like a chubby man running down the street. <laughs> Let's have him chased by a tiger, maybe. Yeah. She's she's right for being like, it'd be cooler if this is a tiger. Yeah. <laughs> Gallagher bursts through. He eats a few bullets as he heads for the senator with the damn flamethrower. I can't believe it came back. <laughs> just like Hitchcock predicted. Yeah. yeah. Great stunt as this guy is in flames. Oh, it's really good. Really, he's fully engulfed there, and the alien crawls out before finally getting exploded by Gallagher as he lies on the ground, exhausted. Cicada, by the way. Finally Sorry. figured it out. Cicada. The slug comes out. Cicada sound. Mm, there you go. There then you he go. gets exploded by the laser. There you go. Yeah. It, it has his little death rattle. <laughs> One thing that they did say in the commentary that I thought was interesting, I don't know how I felt about it, was that there was more puppet footage here where it like came out and got like pretty big and then they said that they cut it down for a less is more approach because they felt like it took away from kyle's moment there yeah i think this is pretty much perfect in terms of the like pacing Mm. we didn't need to see it like try and have a moment also i feel like i know that i realized i said that the thing is my favorite movie earlier but you just can't have a moment moment with a slimy creature that just stands there and like roars at somebody any better than the moment in the thing where the dogs come out of the side. Mm, mm. Once it's like the big monster with the mouth is turned sideways. It's really hard sure. to describe the thing, but you know, it I'm rings a about. bell. It roars. <laughs> it thinks a bell. Even big mouth dogs come out and start barking. That's it. Yeah. It's the best version. If you're going to have a slimy thing, just don't try it. Just show a little bit of the slug and then lasering. There you go. The faculty tried it varying degrees of success. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so this is all all done and they're they're at the hospital now and gallagher is recovered and standing but beck is fading fast so gallagher leans over and he transfers his alienness into beck's body revealing that his particular species of alien is just a bunch of light not a gross slug like the other guy <laughs> yeah definitely better to be light than that slug Definitely. Although it was funny that the slug was like, hey, you're fucking disgusting, you light motherfucker. Oh, I didn't even think about that. That's true. Hmm. I also, I have to say, for me, this ending is so fucked up and horrific. Right? (laughs) The family now lives alive. (laughs) And the daughter even is like. Kind of knows and goes along with it. I'm clocking that this is like not dad. But the alternative is I have no dad anymore. It's it's like really this is some psychological torture at the end here. Just insane ending. Yeah, it is sappy. It is sappy. It's sad but happy, which I have now combined into sappy. And but it is I think it's really great. I think it is a fun ending. I think it does feel a little better to have this sort of conclusion as opposed to being like, oh, the president just or the senator just like fucks off and is going to become president. I guess. I think it is better to have it kind of wrap up a little more completely. And it does that. It's great. Yeah, it's still 
a bleak ending, but the scale is smaller in a way that like feels more like intimate and personal instead of yeah. just being like, okay, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. The world yeah. ends or some shit because the slug takes over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Classic slugs. Whatever. We've all heard that story before. <laughs> now the story where what happens is the protagonist turns out to just want to steal the his buddy, clearly established to be his friend person that he cares about steal his entire life established by you i was it was up for debate in my opinion so i was shipping them (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't know just uh snatch that wife i mean she was a babe you know sure seemed like a good kid she seemed nice you know she did seem nice the children are a future they say yeah and uh why not take that one i guess (laughs) 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 but now chris We've reached the part of the episode where we sum up why this isn't just a good horror movie, but it is, in fact, the best horror movie ever made. Better than The Thing, even. Better than The Thing. So I'm going to let you start. Even though the slimy scene is not as good as the slimy scene. Nonstop action, a little bit of heart, an amazing amount of heart for as much time as it has. Better performances than it deserves. I mean, it's. I feel like it has, like, substance and trash in, like, a perfect mix. In a nice, neat little bundle, it's never there's never a slow moment. Whenever there's exposition, there's either like a powerful, dramatic moment or there's like some good jokes. It's like every little minute of it is great. The trashy rock music is like somehow good, right? Yeah. Did yeah. You enjoy, oh, yeah. Did you enjoy that? Like the alien is oh, like, that I'm opening, listening to this. The opening car chase when they're playing that. I added that song to my phone. <laughs> I, I So it like cuts in and out and i was like is that dio it's not dio but big compliment to that singer that i thought he was dio for even a second yeah so it's fire songs fast cars brenda the the dancer is great i mean i feel like this has everything that you could want from a grindhouse style friday night horror movie yeah to me this is the best horror movie ever made because i Mm -hmm. think it is funny I think that yeah. that's it, like it, it sets out to be funny and I think does accomplish that, which is not easy for a horror movie to do. Also, I think that it takes the thing. It takes a little bit of body snatchers. It takes some Terminator action and and it blends them all up. You get this like hedonism versus humanism battle that's happening where it's like helping others versus the selfishness of uh of this other alien yeah well said i think there's a lot going on thematically i think that shoulder himself put it pretty well where he talks about this could have very easily just been a forgettable b movie and it does kind of raise itself above that you know i think that the term elevated horror is kind of bullshit but i think that this does elevate itself above movies that i would consider its peers i'm not saying that it's like better than other genres but i think that uh, if you have a hundred directors make this movie, I think that this is going to be the best example of it. That this is the 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 cream of the crop uh, of this sort of cops chasing down an alien kind of story. And I think that they just knock it out of the park. It's it's really fun. It's really funny. The gore when it's there is good. The acting is good. The chases are good. Everything's good. It's a damn good movie. It's the best horror movie yeah. ever made. Better than The Thing. Better than The Thing. <laughs> you heard it here first, probably. Maybe you heard that elsewhere. I don't know. I mean, probably that director says so. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show, man. First of all, the movie was amazing. So thank you for introducing it to me. I'm so glad you liked it. 
absolutely I did. Please tell the people where they can find you, hear you. I mentioned you're a producer for Friendsmen. Yes. So please like subscribe to Friendsmen. Please also check out George's other project. Have you heard about Pluto? Did you hear about Pluto? We've heard about Pluto. Have they all heard about Pluto? Psych Boys, the podcast. All of the above. All of the above. Also, check me out at XYT Music on Twitter. I feel like I've met great people through these other pods. I look forward to meeting some cool horror nerds that are in your kind of Twitter sphere. And if anyone else has their own podcast project and they would like some music or bumpers or anything, sound effects, anything like that, I'd love to work and use that as like kind of a way to get to know people and connect to people's projects. So hit me up for some podcast content. The music that Chris makes is incredible. The Friendsman theme song is incredible. I'm stoked on the We Heard About Pluto theme song. I Look, don't tell the boys, but it's my favorite part of the show. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding, guys. I, I I'm your it. favorite psych boy? That's <laughs> what you're trying to say? No. Okay. Cool. Look, Riggs has positioned himself as the post-prime, and <laughs> no Bezos pun intended there, <laughs> even though he does show up quite frequently. But yeah, I think that you are psych boy number one. So. Yes. I'm glad I'm glad they finally know. As far as my plugs, you can find me on Twitter at Little Horror PHL. The username applies pretty much everywhere, including Instagram and Letterboxd. You can also check out the show on Patreon if you're enjoying it. There are great bonus episodes about all kinds of stuff. Paul Ritchie came back from Continue and also Goosebuds, which is a great podcast, to talk about 13 Assassins, the oh, Takashi Miike movie. Very fun. Wow, gnarly. Very gnarly. Yeah. I forgot that it was Takashi Miike. It was like a Saturday morning and a bunch of people were like chilling at my house and were like, all right, let's just like put something on to have something on in the background while we're sitting around. I'm like, hey, how about this kind of cool samurai movie? And I put it on immediately. There's I mean, he has a sex slave that he's cut her arms and legs off Mm -hmm. and her tongue out and her tongue out. It's a lot of Miike doing his stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about the like insane ultraviolence in this movie. (laughs) This is totally not background fodder for like... (laughs) You know, people just doing some things around the house. It's interesting, though, that I think it does actually connect pretty seriously to this movie in terms of that, like, hedonism versus humanism element, where that is definitely an element of 13 Assassins as well. So if you want to hear all about that, check out the Patreon episode about it. There are also more specifically horror stuff. Clay Tatum just came on to talk about PT, the playable trailer, playable teaser for Silent Hills. Rules. Branson Reese came on to talk about the 13 best horror shorts, animated horror shorts from 1929 to 1952. Truly anything and everything that you can imagine. Wow. Video games, animated horror shorts. We talked about the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror. Me and two of my friends, we all ranked our top 10 from the first 10 Treehouse of Horrors. I mean, I don't know how else I can convince you all. If you're not already on the Patreon, what the heck? It's oh. so much good stuff out there. And thank you to everyone who came back. A lot of a lot of uh, familiar faces you'll see over there. So check that out. Send me an email with a question for the mailbag at bestlittlemailbag at gmail.com because I always forget to plug that. But uh, I for, you know, there, there is some starting to show up because uh, every now and then I do remember. It's a clever name. Thank I you. I get that joke. <laughs> <laughs> we did it. We did it. Rate and review if you're enjoying the show. All right. That's it. I plugged a bunch there. So. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye.